Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome back. This is the latest edition of Across the Cavs. Great to finally be recording once again. Zach Weiss here as always, bringing you the latest scoop on what's happening in Cavaliers Kingdom. Several different topics today going over, talking about the draft, John Beeline, looking back on and the Cavs title, several things, uh, excited to be doing this, NBA slowly itching back, so without further ado, here we go. So first topic, talking about the impact of Channing Frye and Richard Jefferson on the Cavs 2016 title just based on chemistry, and then the importance of chemistry to win a title. Uh, those two guys are both integral parts of the Cavs getting it done Channing, you know, throughout his time with the Cavs, was just, you know, you need a three, I'll give it to you, you need something, I'll come through, he's not going to play a ton of minutes, but off the court, having been around the league for so long, remember he played for the Suns team that was full of veterans, obviously led by Steve Nash, you know, they had Jason Richardson, at one point they had Vince Carter, Grant Hill, he's played with so many solid veterans, a guy like Channing Frye, he learned a lot and brought that with him to Cleveland, Richard Jefferson, I mean, that man was going to the NBA Finals from his first season in the NBA with the New Jersey Nets, played a starring role with the Bucks. spent a year in San Antonio, a couple of years in San Antonio, he spent a year with the Warriors under Mark Jackson, great leader Richard Jefferson was, obviously a funny guy as we've seen now in the media world. I think the two of them brought a lightheartedness, but yet an extremely competitive spirit to the locker room. They gave it their all on the court. There were several playoff games the year the Cavs won. And Looking back on the series in 2016, Jefferson played 30 minutes on several occasions with Kevin Love, either MIA or in foul trouble or, or what have you. So RJ was huge, and I really don't know. They could have won without him, given that. Yeah, two of them were both great, and chemistry is everything when you're winning a title. And you're trying to put the team together to win 16 games in the postseason. Got to have the veterans, keep everyone even keeled and ready to go no matter what the situation is. You got to obviously have your star scores. If you don't have guys that can score under any circumstance, you will not win. Cavs don't have a LeBron and a Kyrie in that series. They get destroyed. It, I mean, they played well in the year prior when they lost in six. But it was having LeBron and Kyrie that could both create for themselves that made the difference. But on the, on the note of chemistry, it's really important. If you're not clicking with everybody on the floor with you in the locker room, if the guys on the bench are moping because they're not playing rather than being excited that their teammates are putting the ball in the basket and playing well, then you got a problem on your hands. So chemistry is everything. Be there for your guys. That's why the Greg Popovich Spurs teams, I mean, if you play an old 2K game or you just watch old telecasts, you'll remember they used to do things like that all the time. Steven Jackson and I think it was Matt Bonner went to a Coldplay concert during their days with the Spurs. And in certain cases, like Steve Kerr, you know, the Warriors have a team book club. And so it's just little things like that that make the difference at the end of the day you got to be bonded in more ways than just what happens on the court if you truly want to win the title. you got to love everybody there. The Shaq-Kobe teams in L.A. were a significant exception to this rule. Nowadays, you're not winning a title if you're not all together. I think the Nets might be in some trouble going into next season just because, uh, you know, uh, Durant, Kyrie. I don't know if they're seeing eye-to-eye, but on the note of the Cavs, 
There's no way they get this title without everyone coming together, without the veterans, you know, Dante Jones, Perk, Channing, and Richard. All right, if the Cavs traded into the late first round or early second round, who are some of the guys you'd be interested in? I'm not really paying too much attention to who's going to be available then. and I, I trust the Cavs know what they're doing. Dylan Windler pick was solid last year. They've had some bad selections through the years, but you know I, I look at the draft board and all the prospects that are ranked in the lower part of the list, and there's no one that jumps out at me and says, sign him, sign him. I mean, if they want a... A late-round big, maybe a Caleb Wesson. If they want a, a Mitchell Robinson type with a small forward spot, someone that has a lot of potential, commits to a big college, then decides they're going to prep on their own, that could work out. Maybe a Josh Hall. I don't know what the Cavs are trying to do in this draft. If they're going to get a point guard or a three or a big man in the first round. So I think that's really going to change. I mean, Yudoka Azubuki had a good career at Kansas. He'll be around later in the draft. I mean, uh, Matthew Delvadova was unsigned, or rather undrafted. And the Cavs just came in, swooped up, and he's had an unbelievable career. I mean, there's going to be some solid undrafted players. Only 60 guys get their name called every year when probably triple quad- or quadruple that even, the number of names enter the draft. So it's going to be more than what ju- what happens in those two rounds. As every year we see new guys, Fred Van Vliet, the latest star that went undrafted. You know, some guys, they just, they miss. Teams flop. They don't get the right player. Draft ends. They just sign him. So you never really know what's going to happen there. I mean, a guy I might like to see, depending on what they do with Delhi, is Trey Jones. Although I would like to see him actually have a role next season somewhere. Carson Edwards could be starring somewhere, potentially. Or not starring, but having a key role He's hardly seen the court in Boston because they're a competitor uh, for the title, and we've got a lot of depth. So, I mean, there's guys out there. There's no one that screams, draft me, draft me. Maybe like a Corey Kispert if he stays in the draft, you know, the Gonzaga, Nate, uh, Gonzaga man. We'll see what they end up doing. I mean, I mean, Emmanuel quickly from Kentucky, and we'll do it all on offense. There's no one that the Cavs need to get per se I just think they got to get the lottery right and obviously they have the extra picks from trading Jordan Clarkson so we'll see what they do with him an all-time Cavs lineup capable of winning a championship that does not include LeBron that's a good one appreciate everybody that submitted content for today's show uh all-time starting lineup I'll probably go with Mark Price at point guard I mean he is capable of running a team that is among the best in the league. Cavs had a few of those seasons uh, during his run, so he's going to be at the point. Have to stick Kyrie Irving at the two-guard spot. He just was way too valuable to have not on the floor. And we'll go Larry Nance Sr. at the three. I think in today's game, he might be able to add an outside shot. So, and considering the fact he can protect the rim and he can see he was still scoring 20 plus a game, man was a beast in Phoenix and, but more importantly, in Cleveland. So we got Kyrie, we got Price, we got Larry Nance Jr., or Larry Nance Sr., rather. And we're going to skip ahead at the center spot. Let's go with Brad Daugherty. I think he would be the perfect guy in the middle. He protected the rim, he scored for you. His career was short, so he. 
He's coming back in his prime here. Not too many games under his belt. Uh, he's got... He didn't obviously get to a championship. But he does have the pedigree of a winner. And so that gives us four. And I know we're kind of drawing off modern, but I'd love to see Kevin Love at the five on a team like this. I think that Mark Price will give him a lot of looks in the post. He'll space the floor also for Brad Doherty when he's not down low. And I just think that's starting five. You know, Price, Irving, Nance, Senior, Love, and Doherty. Got two rim protectors still. I think Kevin can hold his own on defense, as we saw in the big moments when he shut down Steph Curry. He'll be throwing outlet passes all day. And if we're talking, this is our starting five. But a couple of backups. Obviously, no LeBron. Probably take Ogowskis, first big man off the bench. Might take Drummond, even though he's only played eight games as a Cav in there as well. And then love to see J.R. Smith on this team as the replacement starting small forward if Nance goes out. He was only known as a scorer in Denver, New York, New Orleans, and he gets to Cleveland, and what does he do? He defends as well as he shoots the three. So I'll have to see that J.R. Smith get an opportunity in there. Other point guards that I would, would potentially like to see from the Cavs, John Bagley, Andre Miller, Foots Walker, all three guys were adept at finding the open man in situations to score. So that probably answers that, you know, the all-time starting lineup. So many other guys that can go in there. World be free, Ron Harper. Ron Harper only played three years with the Cavs. He has the Cavs' rookie record for points average in a season. If he had stayed in Cleveland, could have probably had his number retired, and a lot of great things could have happened. And he was mad about the situation against the Bulls where he didn't get to cover MJ. It is what it is. Ron Harper had a good career, won some titles in Chicago. I do wish he was a Cavalier for more than three years. All of us do. He actually led the Cavs all-time in steals per game for, based on his three seasons in the land. So definitely missing Ron Harper in the all-time list, but he has a chance. Favorite Cavs jerseys all-time. So I looked through all the uniforms before the uh, before I started recording, and we have a lot of great ones. Cavaliers, we've been blessed as a fan base to buy so many cool jerseys over the years. I mean, you start right in the beginning, uh, they're... Third home uniforms. They didn't start wearing white at home until 1983. They have gold jerseys with a red red lettering and then a maroon and white stripe across the middle. Those are nice. I didn't even know the Cavs ever wore gold. Like actually, you know, wine and gold, but actual gold. And then they wore the orange on the road for four years, five years rather. Then they brought in the ones we see now, you know, the, the dark, dark jerseys. With a blue, with light blue going through the middle. Or, and then in some cases, orange. They brought those back. You know, the old school 90s unis. Those have all been nice. Those have always been my 2K calf jerseys. And then I really like the alternate uniforms. Navy blue from the end of the LeBron era, first time through. Those are probably my personal favorite. As far as one I'm most fond of, it's definitely the... The orange. I like the 06 07 season when the Cavs brought the orange ones out of retirement. And then the 16 17 season, they brought them back again. I love those. I actually really liked the sleeved uniform that they won the title in. LeBron obviously cut his sleeves off from time to time because he didn't like them like that. But I thought those were real nice. They're the pride uniforms. But, you know, at the end of the day, every uniform the Cavs have worn. Uh, while 
we've been fans have been nice. They really have never gotten it wrong. But, you know, again, we're going to go with the alternate uniform, navy blue. You, you know, the one, if you go to the NBA store in New York City or look online, the classical bronze, it's that color. They have it as a t-shirt right now for $49.99 or a jersey for $300. I don't believe I have that LeBron jersey anymore, but I've, growing up, I, I did. Many of us did. It's, that jersey just brings back memories. and Hard not to like it. And talking about John Beeline. You know, it's too bad it didn't work out in Cleveland. But him coming was actually for the better. And here's why. They didn't win much this year. They didn't really have a direction. Uh, the rotation wasn't... Uh, the rotation's been the same with both coaches. It's not on that. But he didn't exactly know how to manage Garland and Sexton still. And, you know... It was his first time in the NBA. John Beeline has been coaching in college every single year since 1992. So this is obviously a change for him. John Beeline is 67 years of age. He started coaching in college at age 39. He had a career winning percentage of 637. 13 trips to the NCAA tournament. A couple trips to the Final Four. Never won a title unfortunately, but had some great memories as the coach at Michigan for 12 years where he just won and won and won, 30 wins three times, made Richmond into a solid team. That was the one area, uh, one team outside of his first, outside of a couple great seasons, he was average. Improved West Virginia significantly and even brought home an NIT title. And Canisius and the MAC Conference got them to a, a D1 tournament. Now, I just I look at John Beeline's track record, and I, I, I thought along many of you that he was going to succeed as coach. But, you know, thugs and slugs, one thing, and something about the playbook and the, the names of the plays. It just, there was a lot of weird drama surrounding John Beeline. So that, that being said, I, I liked what I saw from him in, in college. Not the NBA, but John Beeline coming in and then pretty quickly leaving set the set the bar for J.B. Bickerstaff. He came to be the associate head coach, and so as the associate head coach, you know how that goes. You're basically the coach in waiting. You run. You're the head coach number two. You're just not the official coach. Ty Lue, as an associate head coach, was very solid. That's why Doc Rivers scooped him up immediately in the offseason. And so he went back there after he had been with him prior before taking the Cavs gig. Sam Cassell, not an associate head coach, was a great assistant for a long time. It's important to have strong assistant coaches. They're not going to get too many interviews outside the local broadcast, and you're not going to hear too much about them during the season. They do their job behind closed doors, you know, in practices, keeping everything together working with certain guys on certain things when they need it done. I just think JB was great at that. And while he did struggle as a head coach in both Memphis and Houston, I do think this is his time. His father, Bernie, still in the Cavs organization, a higher-up position. Basketball's in his blood, and I think he's going to be fantastic for the years to come. And John Beeline coming and failing opens the door for JB to come and take over. So... 
And that being said, happy where the Cavs are at coach-wise. And now, you know, we look ahead to the summer. Ideal free agents you think the Cavs should go after and have a good shot to sign. We're going to see. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind an Andre Robertson type. Very low risk. Won't be worth much. His contract with the Thunder comes up this summer. He hasn't played in a couple years, but he's a great defender, obviously. He could help a lot of those guys with that. You know, we look to some other names on the board. Um, I think Bryn Forbes could be an option. I don't know what they're going to do with the guard spot. He won't get too many minutes, but he's a guy that can score. I wish they would consider Joe Harris, but I doubt that. Or maybe they could consider bringing Jay Crowder back on a low-end deal. You know, uh, there's options here. A real interesting guy to bring in would be Jabari Parker if he declines his player option with the Kings, which is very likely given that he only played in one game for them so far. He's not been a part of the rotation. I'm not sure what he's looking for exactly. He was on a winning team in the Bucks for a few years, who've obviously gotten better since he left. The Bulls traded him to the Wizards, and he signed with the Hawks, who traded him to the Kings, so he keeps bouncing around, but he's a guy that's still young and can score at a high rate. He was a standout for a long stretch with the Hawks earlier this year playing with Trey while John Collins was out. So that's an option for you right there. You know, if you want a, a bruiser at the center spot, consider Aaron Baines. Shoot the three at a high rate. Again, it's going to depend on what happens with Tristan in the draft. But can you imagine Aaron Baines in a Cavaliers uniform? Imagine the Sun official Baines fan club tweeting about Cavs basketball every night. I'm not sure how many of you actually follow this unofficial Paints fan club, but I, I have for a long time one of the best followers on Twitter. You know, there's several options of guys they could consider. You know, Jermichael Green is a backup stretch four. Justin Holiday, good veteran. I do think they need to sign a veteran or two. Um, we look at some of the older names coming off the board. I, I do expect Udonis Haslam to retire after this season. And... Corver, we're going to see what happens with him. You know, if they, they could go Thabo Cephalosha to help mentor Windler and Jetty, etc. It could go with Jared Dudley, who could very well win a ring. He could retire after the season. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Garrett Temple has a team option. I would think the Nets take it. If they don't, he's a great option for them. Courtney Lee is going to be very cheap. I th- he's been around so many great winners before. I don't think it's about signing talent for the Cavs. I think it's seeing what you can do with Andre Drummond. Should he decline his player option and figuring things out with Tristan? But just sign a veteran or two. You know, Marvin Williams coming off the board. If the Bucks are able to get the ring this year, perhaps he won't feel a need to stay on a contender. So he'll, he'll come available. Damari Carroll, old rival of the Cavs when he played for the Hawks. You know, Jeff Green was once a Cav. There's so many vets. You know, if James Johnson declined his player option, I expect him to stay in Minnesota. Just bring in a couple vets. Those are some of the names that are coming available. And they don't need to splash for a guy like Danilo Gallinari. Don't even think about Fred Van Vliet, who probably isn't even on the radar, or he doesn't make any sense anyway. He'll hopefully get that big contract from Toronto. You know, plenty of free agents out there, but... Also, one other name to avoid if he declines his player option is Nick Batum. He's done nothing for the last few years, struggled in Charlotte. So we'll see what they do. How would Moondog do against some of the other mascots around the league? 
Oh, surprising to me is that Moondog has never won Mascot of the Year. Asawara has been running for 15 years. There have been several mascots to win twice. Clutch for the Rockets. Jazz Bear for Utah. Stuff the Magic Dragon is the only one to go back-to-back with it. You know, there's some there's some good mascots out there. Definitely are. And there's four teams without a mascot. Nets used to have Sly Fox. He, they don't have a mascot in Brooklyn. No mascot for the Warriors. That's too bad. We can't have a mascot war. Like, we had a finals war for four years. No Lakers mascot and no Knicks mascot. Although the Knicks mascot is basically just an empty section of the bleachers. That's the mascot. That's the place that everybody pays attention to the most when they're not looking at the court. The empty section. You know, the I, I, the one game I went to at the Garden in the 2020 part of the year, it's actually the Knicks game that sold the fewest tickets, smallest crowd in Knicks history. Shocked to actually be a part of that. And I'm not a part of that because I was actually there. Not going to the game would have made me a part of the majority. I guess the minority were the ones at the game. But that being said, no mascot there. I mean, we're, if we're judging off awards, you know, Moondog would struggle. And I would. I, I think we're talking about a dunk contest here. Moondog has some real ability as a dunker. Obviously, Sir Cece is going to be assisting him. I, I do think that even though Clutch has won the mascot of the year twice, having not won it since 2013, Clutch would struggle. And then we beat the Rockets. I think Rumble the Bison, OKC Thunder... Can't can't get the W. I'd be really excited to see Chuck the Condor going against Moondog. I, I still don't understand Chuck the Condor, the outfit, the getup, the the point. It's a very creative one to say the least. I mean, it it's certainly something. I you know you got Dallas with Mavs man champ. Bango of the Bucks is certainly going to be a fun matchup. Obviously, being around Robin Lopez, who we know how he feels about mascots, he's gotten a lot of training firsthand on dealing with unconventional tactics in battle. So, I don't think Bango can get can lose to Moondog. I think Moondog will be great. You know, crunch the wolf in Minnesota. Pierre the Pelican certainly a fun one. But Moon Moondog can really hold his own, and obviously, Sir CC is. Kind of the cult mascot here. So, you know, sh- just shout out to the Cavs. We've got two great mascots that we could even talk about. So that's real nice to have. And lastly, talking about Anderson Varejao's big moments. There have been many. 90 scored 35. He's game-winning three on Braun's birthday years ago. Uh, you know, he didn't get the ring with the Cavs. It's unfortunate. The only year, he was the only Cavs holdover. To not leave from the time of the first title to the time, or rather, from the first finals appearance to the second. He stayed the whole time. And it's too bad that he didn't get the title because he was patient. He was true to the team. I just think about Anderson Varejao. I think of the improvements across the board. Uh, you know, he had been becoming a much better free throw shooter as time went on. I looked at his jump shot, much improved. I mean, my favorite Varejao moment slash memory, it stinks because he got hurt so much. 
Vera Zhao's performances while LeBron was in Miami. And the game's play total is just sad. 31, 25, 25, 65, 26 over, the, over a five-year span right there. He just couldn't stay healthy. But the first year, he averaged nine points, 10 rebounds, more than a block a game. It's the only time in his career he did that. The next season, he only plays 25 games and he gets hurt. 11 points, 12 rebounds. How about the year after? The 2012-13 Cavs are obviously not, not a fantastic team. Farajal for 25 games, averaged 36 minutes. He was crushing it. He was even shooting 75% from the line with a high rate of attempts. So that would have held up. 14 points, 14 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.5 steals. Those were most improved-esque numbers for Farajal. And that year would have been special. And of all his seasons. And that, that's just what kills me. He couldn't stay healthy. You know, when LeBron came back, he was still starting that first season, averaging 10 and 7. Hate that he got hurt again. All those seasons, he just kept getting hurt. And then finally, the Cavs traded him to Golden State, where he fell in the finals. But I, my Verjao memories are those years. Yeah, he, he was there the first time. Verjao's three was awesome. Unfortunately, the Dwayne Wade dunk on him always comes into mind and when you look up Anderson Verge on any form of social media that's usually the only video you're gonna get and wig night obviously was a fun time everyone rocking the Verjao wigs just a great guy I mean I love Anderson Verjao a Verjao autograph neighbor from Brazil going on a flying back there just by chance sat next to him on the plane this was 2006 or 7 such a small world that that could happen but he's a great guy. He was always good in the community. And hate that he retired as a warrior more than anything else. But he's a baller. He had his memories. The 14.14 rebound a game season that was cut way short for me, does it? Because we'd watch those Cavs game and he'd get games. He'd get every single rebound. He was scoring around the rim. His mid-range shot was fluid. And he was even a solid rim protector. So wish Andy could have another year with the Cavs. I'll be 38 at the end of September. Wish he had one more season left, but a shout-out to him. Shout-out to the Magic for not keeping Andy after taking him at the end of the first round, 2004. I'll have to have him. So, on that note of Anderson Verjao, we say goodbye here on Across the Cavs. Appreciate everyone tuning in, and we will catch you next time. See us on Twitter at AcrossCavs or on Instagram at AcrossTheCavs. And as always, I'm your host, Zach Weiss.